so continuing with Bulugh al-Maram of al-Hafiz ibn Hajar rahimahullah ta'ala we were discussing the chapter regarding the prayer and the section regarding the descriptions of the prayer and we had reached the hadith of ibn Abbas radiyallahu anhuma أن النبي صلى الله عليه وسلم كان يقول بين سجدتين اللهم اغفر لي وارحمني واهدني وعافني وارزقني رواه الأربعة إلا النساء واللفظ لأبي داود وصححه الحاكم In this hadith of Ibn Abbas رضي الله عنهما He says that the Prophet صلى الله عليه وسلم used to say between the two prostrations, meaning you go into your first prostration, then you come up and you sit in that part. What he used to recite when sitting before going back down into the second prostration. That sitting in between the two prostrations. That he used to say, Allahumma ghfirli, warhamni, wahdini, wa'afini, warzuqni. That our Allah Forgive me, Allahumma ghfirli, and have mercy upon me, and guide me, and afini, meaning give me health, safety, security, warzuqni, and provide me the sustenance. So this is a dua that is mentioned in this hadith. That the Prophet ﷺ used to recite in between the two prostrations when he was sitting. Al-Shaykh Al-Fawzan, Hafizahullah Ta'ala says, هذا الحديث فيه ذكر ما يقال في الجلسة بين سجدتين This hadith mentions to us what is to be said in the sitting between the two prostrations. وَهُوَ أَنَّ النَّبِيَّ صَلَى اللَّهُ عَلَيْهِ وَسَلَّمَ كَانَ يَقُولُ And that is the dua that the Prophet صلى الله عليه وسلم used to say, اللهم اغفر لي وارحمني وعافني وهدني وارزقني فهذه الدعوات المباركات تقال في هذا الركن من الصلاة وهو الجلسة بين السجدتين فدل هذا على مشروعية هذا الدعاء في الجلسة بين السجدتين so this indicates the legislation of making the dua in between the two prostrations. That a person when he does the first prostration, then he comes out of it and he is sitting before going back down into the second prostration, then there is the legislated dua to be recited in that short sitting. Wal-wajib and the obligation, the wajib, what a person must recite in that sitting before going back down into the second prostration is the statement, Allahumma ghfirli. That beginning part, Allahumma ghfirli, then a Shaykh al-Fawzan says, this is a wajib. This is something the person must recite in the sitting. Wahada la budda minhu. This is something that cannot be missed, it must be done. لِأَنَّ الصَّلَاةِ And here the shaykh, he mentions something important about the prayer. He says the prayer, لَا يَسْلُحُ السُّكُوتُ فِي شَيْءٍ مِنْهَا It is not correct for a person to be silent in any part of his prayer. It is not correct for a person to be silent in any part of his prayer. بَلْ إِنَّ كُلَّهَا أَذْكَارِ Rather, all of the prayer during the prayer is a time for remembrance. That you are reciting, you are reading supplications and other recitations that are mentioned for the prayer. Throughout the prayer you are reciting them. 
There is no time in the prayer you are just sat there or stood there silently. Rather, every part has something to recite. إِمَّا قِرَاءَةُ Quran, Either reciting the Qur'an, وَإِمَّا تَسْبِيحٌ فِي الرُّكُوعِ وَالسُّجُودِ Or the tasbih that a person recites in the ruku' and in the sujood. سُبْحَانَ رَبِّيَ الْعَظِيمِ سُبْحَانَ رَبِّيَ الْأَعْلَى وَإِمَّا تَشَهُّدْ بَيْنَ الرَّكَعَتَيْنِ الْأُولِيَيْنِ فِي آخِرِ الصَّلَاةِ Or the tashahud that a person reads, the tashahud after the two raka'at when you sit down, and then at the end of the prayer, either in the third raka'ah, if it's maghrib for example, or in the fourth raka'ah, then the tashahud is recited in that part. وَإِمَّا دُعَاءٌ بَيْنَ سَجْدَتَيْنِ Or other types of dua that you read, for example, this one in between the two prostrations. فَالصَّلَاةُ كُلُّهَا مَشْغُولَةٌ بِالذِّكْرِ So the prayer, all of it is busy with remembrance. The prayer, all of it, in the different parts of the prayer, you're reciting or reading something. There is no part of the prayer, it is simply silence. Rather, it is recitation and remembrance throughout the prayer. وَلَا يَجُوزُ أَنْ يَمُرَّ رُكْنٌ مِنْهَا بِدُونِ ذِكْرِ اللَّهِ And it is not permissible for any pillar of the prayer to pass by silently. Rather, all of the pillars of the prayer, the aspects of the prayer, they have remembrance and dua and supplication that you are supposed to recite. فَلَوْ سَكَتَ مُتَعَمِّدًا فِي رُكْنٍ مِنَ الْأَرْكَانِ وَلَمْ يَأْتِ بِالذِّكْرِ الْمَشْرُوعِ فِيهِ لَمْ تَصِحَّ صَلَاتُهُ So if one of the pillars of the prayer, the person stays silent within it, and does not recite anything within it on purpose, he does not recite the legislated remembrance, the dua that is uh, prescribed for that section of the prayer, and you remain silent on purpose in that pillar, then his prayer is not correct. وَإِن كَانَ نَاسِيًا فَفِيهِ تَفْصِيلٍ بَيْنَ مَا هُوَ رُكْنٌ وَمَا هُوَ وَاجِبٌ وَمَا هُوَ سُنَّةٌ And if a person forgets accidentally, he forgets to recite a particular supplication or dua in a particular part of the prayer, then the ruling will depend on what that part of the prayer was, whether it was a pillar, whether it was something wajib, whether it was something sunnah, then the ruling will differ on that person who forgets accidentally to recite something. So this section, when you say, رَبِّ غْفِرْلِ Then this part is the wajib, that a person must recite at least once, in that sitting between the two prostrations. And if a person recited it more than once, then that's better. But at least once is the obligation in between the two prostrations when you're sitting. رَبِّ غْفِرْلِ Oh Allah, have forgiveness upon me, give me forgiveness. So in this you are seeking forgiveness from Allah, and that is essentially the concealment of your sins. That Allah conceals and forgives and pardons your sins. Then also this particular hadith mentions, an addition to the dua that you can recite, وَرْحَمْنِي Have mercy upon me, asking Allah for mercy in this world and in the hereafter. وَعَافِنِي Meaning have or give me the health and the safety and the security. عَافِنِي Give me the health, the safety, the security from all types of the trials and the tribulations. From the different types of trials and tribulations that occur. Whether it is trials and tribulations with regards to your wealth. Or trials and tribulations with regards to your health. Or other than that, then you are asking Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala to protect you from these trials and from these tribulations. فيه يعني عافني فيه طلب للمعافاة من جميع البلاء سواء كان في الدين أو في البدن أو في الدنيا فالإنسان يسأل الله المعافاة من جميع أنواع البلاء لكنه إذا بتولي فعليه يصبر. So you ask Allah subhanahu wa taala to protect you 
and to save you and to guard you from all of these various trials and tribulations. But if a person is overcome by some trial or tribulation, then it is upon you to remain patient upon those trials and tribulations. A person remains patient when the trials and the tribulations and the various affairs, they overcome an individual. And you remember that the trials and the tribulations of the prophets and the messengers, they were far more severe than the trials and the tribulations that we face. Just as the hadith mentions, إِنَّ أَشَدَّ النَّاسِ بَلَاءً أَوْ إِبْتِلَاءً الْأَنْبِيَاءُ ثُمَّ الْأَمْفَلْ فَالْأَمْفَلْ That the most tested of the people are the prophets, then those who are most similar to them, and then those who are most similar in terms of their practicing and their religion. So a person, if he is overcome by any calamity, then you are patient upon that, and your reward is within that. So here you're asking Allah to protect you and to guard you from those affairs. وَعَافِنِي And then, وَهْدِنِي Guide me. And we've mentioned previously in our gatherings that guidance is of two types. Guidance is of two types. وَهْدِنِي فِيهِ طَلَبٌ لِلْهِدَايَةِ وَالْمُرَادُ هِدَايَةُ التَّوْفِيقِ وَهِدَايَةُ الدَّلَالَةِ لِأَنَّ الْهِدَايَةَ عَلَى قِسْمَيْنِ هِدَايَةُ دَلَالَةِ and هِدَايَةُ تَوْفِيقٍ وَقَبُولٍ So a person when he says, or he asks Allah to guide him, then you are asking to be guided in both types of guidance. The guidance which is the general type of guidance to be shown the right path, to be shown what is Tawheed and to be aware of that and to be aware of what opposes it in terms of shirk and bid'ah, to be aware of the straight path. You are asking Allah for that guidance. And the second type of guidance, that you are asking Allah to enlighten your heart, to accept that straight path, to accept the tawheed and to abandon the shirk, to ask Allah to enlighten your heart, so you may accept the truth. Whereas so many people out there, the truth may come to them, but their hearts are not enlightened to accept that truth. So you are asking Allah for both types of guidance, that you become aware of the true upright path, and that your heart is enlightened to accept that, and tread upon that. Then also, وَرْزُقْنِي Provide me the sustenance and my provisions. So you make dua to Allah for that also. فِيهِ طَلَبٌ لِلْرِزْقِ الْحَلَالِ مِنَ اللَّهِ جَلَّ وَعَلَىٰ You are asking Allah to provide you the halal sustenance, the halal provisions. لِأَنَّ الْإِنسَانَ فَقِيرٌ إِلَى اللَّهِ Because indeed the person is in poverty in front of Allah. A person is in weakness and poverty in, uh, 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 in front of Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala. فَهُوَ يَسْأَلُ اللَّهَ مِنَ الرِّزْقِ So he asks Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala for the sustenance and the provisions. وَيَسْتَعِيذُ بِهِ مِنَ الْفَقْرِ وَالْفَاقَةِ And he seeks refuge in Allah to protect him from poverty, to protect him from the poverty and the lack of sustenance and provisions. And this is something which is mentioned in the hadith where Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala states how the person is born, how the various processes occur within the womb of the mother, and then after the 120 days, يُرْسَلُ إِلَيْهِ الْمَلَكِ that the angel is then sent to him, فَيُؤْمَرُ بِكَتْبِ أَرْبَعِ كَلِمَاتِ and he is commanded to write down the four things for that individual even before his birth, and one of them is, بِكَتْبِ رِزْقِهِ The sustenance and the provisions of that person, they are recorded, they are written down for that individual. So this therefore indicates, as the scholars have said, that the sustenance of every person is decreed for him, and no other individual can take your sustenance from you. What is decreed for you will certainly come to you, and what was not decreed for you, then it will not come to you. So no person has any need to be in any state of fear 
or to be in any state of grieving or concern regarding who or where or how his sustenance may be taken away from him. Somebody else may take his business from him. Somebody else may tra- take his trade from him. Then there is no need for a person to be concerned or to fear regarding such affairs. You take the necessary means, you put your trust in Allah, and you know that your sustenance is written for you. So whatever is written for you, then nobody else besides you will be able to take from you. So that is the dua that is mentioned regarding in between the two prostrations. And the wajib of that dua is at least that a person recites, Rabbi at least once the shaykh says, and if it is done more than that and the dua is recited, then that is better. The next hadith after that, وَعَنْ مَالِكِ بْنِ الْحَوَيْرِثِ رَضِيَ اللَّهُ عَنْهُ أَنَّهُ رَأَى النَّبِيَّ صَلَّى اللَّهُ عَلَيْهِ وَسَلَّمْ يُسَلِّ فَإِذَا كَانَ فِي وُتْرٍ مِّن صَلَاتِهِ لَمْ يَنْهَضْ حَتَّى يَسْتَوْيَ قَاعِدًا رواه البخاري In this hadith, it is mentioned in the hadith of Malik ibn al-Hawayrith radiyallahu anhu that he saw the Prophet sallallahu alayhi wa sallam praying. And when the Prophet sallallahu was in the odd raka'at of the prayer, and we'll explain that in a moment, the odd raka'at of the prayer, not the even raka'at, then he would not get up until he was sitting down properly. Until he was sitting, established in that sitting, then he would get up. The meaning of this hadith, what are the odd raka'at of the prayer? If you have a four raka'at prayer, you have a four raka'at prayer, فَإِذَا كَانَ فِي وُتْرٍ مِّن صَلَاتِهِ يَعْنِي قَامَ بَعْدَ انْتِهَاءِ الرَّكَعَةِ الْأُولَى إِلَى الرَّكَعَةِ الثَّانِيَةِ أو قَامَ بَعْدَ الْانْتِهَاءِ مِنَ الرَّكَعَةِ الثَّالِثَ إِلَى الرَّكَعَةِ الرَّابِعَةِ When you are in a four raka'a prayer, after you pray the first raka'a, and you go to the sujood and you finish and you get up, from the end of your first raka'a, you are now getting up to your... Second raka'ah, that is the first odd moment. Then, when is the next odd moment? When you finish the third raka'ah, and you're going to get up from your third to get up to your fourth one, that is another odd moment. As for the second raka'ah, as for the second raka'ah, then that is an even moment. And after the second raka'ah anyway, you will be sitting down for... Tashahud. After the second raka'ah, you will be sitting down for the tashahud, and then you're gonna get up. As for the first raka'ah, you finish your two prostrations, then there is no sitting as such. There is no tashahud, you're going to get up. After the third raka'ah, in a four raka'ah prayer, then again, there is no tashahud there, you're going to get up. That first and that third raka'ah are the other raka'at. This hadith is talking about those two moments. From the moment you finish your prostrations at the end of the first rak'ah, then you're going to get up now to your second rak'ah, that moment. And from the third, from the third rak'ah, when you finish the prostrations and you're going to get up to your fourth rak'ah, that moment. In those two moments, this hadith is now going to discuss, when you finish the two prostrations of the first rak'ah, after you come up from your second prostration, do you sit for a moment and then get up or do you come out of the second prostration straight up? This is the issue that is going to be discussed here. Same with the third rak'ah. After you finish the second prostration at the end of your third rak'ah, as you come out of that prostration, do you sit first for a moment and then get up? Or do you come out of that prostration straight up? This is the topic that is going to be discussed here. Um, فالوتر هو القيام الذي ليس فيه جلوس للتشهد uh, الأول أو التشهد الأخير فإذا كان في وتر من صلاته لم ينهض حتى يستوي جالسا وهذا ما يسمى بجلسة الاستراحة وقد اختلف العلماء رحمهم الله في حكمها على ثلاثة أقوال 
This is what's known as the sitting of, in Arabic, al-istiraha. I, that momentarily, that moment of slight pause, that moment of slight relaxing, that you sit for a moment and then you get up. Everybody understands that scenario. You're praying your first raka'ah, you go to ruku'ah, you come up, you go down into prostration, you come up, you go down into prostration. Now as you come up, you go straight up, stand straight up from the prostration, or do you come up and sit again for a moment, slight moment, and then get up to your second raka'ah. That's known as the jalsatul istiraha. And the scholars have differed over that in three different opinions. There are three different opinions regarding that particular sitting, whether it is to be done or not. Al-Qawlul Awwal, the first opinion, Annaha ghayru mashru'ah. The first opinion is that it is not legislated to sit at that moment in the end of the first raka'ah and the end of the third raka'ah. It is not legislated to sit. When you finish the second sajda, then you come straight up. This is the first opinion. وَإِنَّمَا Obviously now they have to explain. How is that the opinion? When the hadith is saying that the Prophet ﷺ, when he was in the odd raka'at, he wouldn't get up until he sat down momentarily. That's what the hadith says. That the Prophet ﷺ actually used to sit at the end of the first and the third raka'at and then come up. So it's proven in the hadith in Bukhari that the Prophet ﷺ used to sit but the first opinion of the scholars is that it's not legislated. It isn't legislated to do that. Why? How? How could it not be legislated to do that when the hadith in Bukhari is saying that the Prophet ﷺ did that? Hmm. What possible explanation is there to that? Uh-huh. Huh? Meaning what? You mean he only did it because of his health? Correct. That's what some of the scholars have mentioned. So the first opinion they say, it is not legislated. أَنَّهَا غَيْرُ مَشْرُوعَةً وَإِنَّمَا فَعَلَهَا النَّبِيُّ صَلَى اللَّهِ وَسَلَّمَ لِلْحَاجَةِ فِي آخِرِ حَيَاتِهِ لَمَّا فَقُلْ So as you said, they say it's not legislated. The Prophet ﷺ only used to do that at the end of his lifetime. They say this is only narrated that the Prophet ﷺ used to do this, sit at the end of the Adrakaat, at the end of the first and the third. It's only narrated he used to do that at the end of his lifetime. Not at the beginning. So they say that because it was only narrated that he used to do that at the end of his lifetime, it was actually because there was a need for it. When the Prophet ﷺ became elderly, then at that age he needed to take that sitting position first and then to make the movement up. And it wasn't really feasible or due to the need, it wasn't possible to make the complete movement straight up. So they say that was only due to the need. It was only due to the need that the Prophet ﷺ used to do that at the end of his lifetime. Whereas otherwise they said generally it's not something which is legislated. It's not something which is legislated, you're fit and healthy and you sit. They say that was only at the end of the lifetime of the Prophet ﷺ when he had a need to have to sit momentarily before then making the movement to rise up again. So that's what the first opinion of the scholars is. Uh, they say the Prophet ﷺ didn't used to do that because it was legislated or even because it's a sunnah of the prayer. He only used to do that because of an actual need. He had the need to have to sit momentarily before he could then uh, rise up. It was a need. It wasn't a sunnah of the prayer or a legislation of the prayer. So that's what the first opinion of the scholars is. That due to this only being narrated at the end of the lifetime of the Prophet ﷺ, then it was not something legislated, it was not something sunnah, it was only something done by the Prophet ﷺ due to a need at the end of his lifetime. 
Uh, and they say that because there are no narrations, as they mention, where the Prophet ﷺ actually commanded with that. There are no narrations where the Prophet ﷺ actually commanded and said, at the end of the first raka'ah sit, and at the end of the third one sit. There are no narrations where the Prophet ﷺ actually commanded that in speech. So this was only something seen from the actions of the Prophet ﷺ. So they say the Prophet ﷺ didn't say it, he didn't teach the people that, it was just something they saw him doing at the end of his lifetime. And they say, we can explain why he used to do that at the end of his lifetime. That was just out of the need. Al-Qawl thani That first opinion they say, وَهُوَ أَحَدُ الْأَقْوَالِ عِنْدَ شَافِعِيَّةِ It's one of the opinions of the Shafi'iyah that it is not legislated at all. Al-Qawl thani the second opinion, أَنَّهَا مَشْرُوعَةً وَمُسْتَحَبَّةً the second opinion, the opposite. They say it's absolutely legislated and it is recommended. It is legislated and it is recommended. And they use the obvious hadith. Hadith in Al-Bukhari that the Prophet ﷺ did not used to get up from the odd raka'at, one and three, until he sat. Then he would get up. So they say based upon that very clear hadith, that the Prophet ﷺ used to do that in the prayer, so you do it. They say it is from the sunnah acts of the prayer. فَهِيَ مِن سُنَنِ الصَّلَةِ وَهِيَ عِبَارَ عَنْ جَلْسَ خَفِيفَةِ يَسْتَرِيحُ فِيهَا قَلِيلًا ثُمَّ يَنْهَضُ And that is basically a very small momentary sitting down, just a moment very briefly, and then getting up. And that, they say, is a sunnah of the prayer. It is legislated, it is recommended. And they say very clearly the hadith is in Bukhari, that the Prophet ﷺ did that. So they do not bring about any explanations as to why that could be, or the old age, or the end of the life of the Prophet ﷺ. They don't bring those explanations. They say very simply, the hadith is there telling us, the Prophet ﷺ used to do that, in Bukhari, authentic. So khalas, it's a sunnah, do it. That's the second opinion. Uh, and that is actually the, the dominant opinion uh, with the Shafi'is. The Shafi'is or the Shafi'iyah, some of them have the opinion it is not legislated, but the dominant opinion in that uh, 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 ideology or, or mentality, methodology rather, is that it is, dom- uh, the sitting down is prescribed. Al-Qawl al-Thalith, bi-annaha ghayr mustahabbah. The third opinion is that it is not something which is recommended to do. It is not something recommended to do. وَهُوَ الْقَوْلُ الْمُعْتَمَدْ عِنْدَ الْحَنَابِلَ وَالْحَنَافِيَّةِ وَالْمَالِكِيَّةِ وَأَحَدُ أَقْوَالِ الشَّافِعِيَّةِ That is the opinion which is uh, relied upon with the Hanbalis and the Hanafis and the Malikis. That it is not something recommended to do. So they don't really say it's not legislated altogether, but they say it's not really anything recommended to do. That is their opinion. They are the three main opinions. Al-Shaykh Al-Fawzan, Hafizahullah Ta'ala then says, in conclusion to that, Al-Ra'i Al-Awwal, he says, the first opinion, وَهُوَ أَنَّ جَلْسَةَ الْإِسْتِرَاحَ غَيْرْ مَشْرُوعَةَ That the sitting is not something legislated, it was just because of the uh, end of the lifetime of the Prophet Sallallahu and he needed to do that, so it's not actually legislated. Shaykh Fawzan says, هُوَ قَوْلُ جُمْهُورِ أَهْلِ الْعِلْمِ That it is actually the opinion of the majority, the masses of the people of knowledge. The masses of the scholars, the people of knowledge, take the opinion that it is not something legislated. And the Shaykh says in his opinion, وَهُوَ صَحِحُ إِنْشَاءَ اللَّهِ The opinion of Shaykh Al-Fawzan. He says that according to him, that is the authentic position, that it is not prescribed. وَهِيَ إِنَّمَا تُبَاحُ لِمَنْ اِحْتَاجَ إِلَيْهَا مِنْ مَرِيضٍ أَوْ ثَقِيلِ الْجِسْمِ أَوْ كَبِيرِ السِّنِ And he says, it is only something which is there as a means or something for an individual who is ill, or an individual who is old in age, or an individual who may not be healthy in his body, maybe uh, of a large stature for example, difficult to get straight back up, so for those types of people, the Sheikh says, they can do that. But otherwise, according to him and to the majority of the scholars, as he mentions, 
it is not something established to do. وَهِيَ لَيْسَتْ سُنَّةً مِنْ سُنَّةً الصَّلَاةِ And that it is not a sunnah from the prayer. But that is something different about. As you've seen there, those differences of opinion. And there are many scholars who take the opinion, it is perfectly correct for you to do that. Perfectly correct for you to sit and to have that momentary uh, gap before getting up again. So that is something different about, and they are some of the opinions of the scholars regarding it. The next topic, وَعَنْ أَنَسِ بْنِ مَالِكِ رَضِيَ اللَّهُ عَنْهُ أَنَّ رَسُولَ اللَّهِ صلى الله عليه وسلم قَنَتَ شَهْرًا بَعْدَ الرُّكُوعِ يَدْعُو عَلَى أَحْيَاءٍ مِّنْ أَحْيَاءِ الْعَرَبِ ثُمَّ تَرَكَهُ مُتَّفَقٌ عَلَيْهُ وَلِأَحْمَدْ وَالدَّارْقُطْنِ نَحْوُهُ مِنْ وَجْهٍ آخَرٍ وَزَادٍ وَأَمَّا فِي الصُّبْحِ فَلَمْ يَزَلْ يَقْنُتْ حَتَّى فَارَقَ الدُّنْيَا وعنه رضي الله عنه أن النبي صلى الله عليه وسلم كان لا يقنت إلا إذا دعا لقوم أو دعا على قوم صححه ابن خزيمة وعن سعد بن طارق الأشجعي رضي الله عنهما قال قلت لأبي يا أبتي إنك قد صليت خلف رسول الله صلى الله عليه وسلم وأبي بكر وعمر وعثمان وعلي أفكانوا يقنتون في الفجر قال أي بني محتف رواه الخمسة إلا أبا داود These narrations are all talking about now the قنوت So in the hadith of Anas ibn Malik the first hadith he says that the messenger of Allah sallallahu alayhi wasallam made the qunut regularly consistently for a whole month for a whole month on one occasion regularly and consistently for a whole month making dua against a particular tribe of the Arabs I will come to the explanation as to why that occurred and that is a hadith agreed upon by al-Bukhari and Muslim then there is another narration the hadith the second one where it mentions that the Prophet ﷺ used to make the qunut in every fajr prayer until he died. Every fajr prayer until he died. The third hadith, it says that the Prophet ﷺ did not used to make the qunut prayer except if it was against a group of people or for a group of people. Either for them or against them. If it was for a group of people or against a group of people, then that's the time when the Prophet ﷺ would make this qunut and that's what it would be about. The fourth hadith mentions that Sa'ad ibn Tariq al-Ashja'i asked his father, his father had prayed with the Prophet ﷺ and Abu Bakr and Umar and Uthman and Ali. So his son says to him, indeed you prayed. You prayed with the Messenger of Allah ﷺ, and you prayed uh, with Abu Bakr and Umar and Uthman and Ali. You prayed behind all of them. Did they used to make the qunut in Fajr? Did they used to do that? Make the qunut in the Fajr? So he said to him, he said, my son, that is innovated. So now, we have these various narrations. Some of them indicating you consistently make the qunut. Some of them indicating it's an innovation to do that. Now how do we come to an understanding regarding this issue of the qunut? And whether it is to be done regularly or not to be done regularly? And what is the ruling regarding it? Firstly, it should be understood as an introduction which will become very important in a moment. So pay attention to it. Qunut itself, the word... This particular word in the Arabic language has different meanings. The word qunut in the Arabic language has different meanings. One of the meanings of this word is to stand lengthily, to stand for a long time. To stand for a long time. How do we know that? In the Quran, the ayah, أَمَّنْ هُوَ قَانِتٌ آنَاءَ اللَّيْلِ سَاجِدًا وَقَائِمًا in this ayah, it mentions the word qanit, the one who is standing in prayer in the night and prostrating. The word qanit is used. And that means the one who stands in the prayer for a long time in the night. So here the word qanit, which is from qanut, the same family tree, 
It indicates standing for a long time, standing in the prayer for a long time. That's one of the meanings of this word, qanut. Secondly, it can also mean being silent from speaking. Somebody who is silent and not speaking, then this word can be used to describe them. وَيُطْلَقُ الْقُنُوتُ وَيُرَادُ بِهِ السُّكُوتُ عَنِ الْكَلَامِ كَمَا فِي قَوْلِهِ تَعَالَى وَقُومُوا لِلَّهِ قَانِتِينَ So it can indicate silence from speaking. Just like it is mentioned in the ayah in Surah Al-Baqarah, and stand to your Lord, قَانِتِين i.e. in silence. Stand in prayer. Stand in prayer to your Lord, قَانِتِين From the same root again, Stand in prayer in silence. Why is that mentioned? Remember we mentioned in the initial stages, in the initial times, then they used to pray the prayer and it was permissible to talk. Initially, then the rulings came down that it must be silence in the prayer. So here the word from the same tree as Qunut, is used to indicate silence. That's another meaning of it. A third meaning of the word qanut is to be submissive and humble and to submit to Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala. To submit and to be submissive to Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala. يطلق القنوت ويراد به الخضوع والانقياد لأمر الله وحكمه. كما في قوله تعالى وقالوا اتخذ الله ولدا سبحانه بل له ما في السماوات والأرض كل له قانتون. So in this ayah of Surah Al-Baqarah in one one six it mentions that they said Allah has a son. Allah be free and glorified from that deficiency. Rather everything in the heavens and the earth is Everything in the heavens and the earth is submissive to Allah. The word qanut again used or from the root of that to indicate submission to Allah. That's another meaning of it. The fourth meaning of it is what you all know. Qanut, as you know, the dua that you make. So you see that there are four different meanings here the shaykh mentions for the word qanut. It is not simply just the dua that you do in the prayer. There are several other meanings, one of them to stand in the prayer for a long time, standing lengthily, standing for a long time is qunut, uh, silence from speaking is qunut, submissiveness to Allah is qunut, and also the dua is the qunut. So now, after having understood that there are these different meanings for the word qunut, the first hadith that we came across it mentioned the hadith of Anas radiallahu anhu that the Prophet ﷺ made dua against a particular tribe from the Arabs for a month, a whole month, and then he left it in the end after that month. Al Muradu bil Hay Qawmun min Qabail al Arab wa hum Ru'al wa Dakwan wa Banu Lihyan. والسبب في هذا أن النبي صلى الله عليه وسلم أرسل جماعة من القراء من أهل الصفة يبلغ عددهم سبعين رجلا أرسلهم للدعوة إلى الله وتعليم الناس تعليم الناس القرآن بطلب من بعض المشركين فغدروا بهم وقتلوهم فجعل النبي صلى الله عليه وسلم يقنط ويدعو عليهم في الصلاة يعني في صلاة الفريضة ثم إنه ترك ذلك عليه صلاة والسلام بعد أن كان قد دعا عليهم شهرا كاملا وهذا متفق عليه عند الشيخين. So it is mentioned that there was a some tribes of the Arabs who requested from the Prophet صلى الله عليه وسلم that he send them some people who will teach them and educate them. But when the Prophet ﷺ sent some of the Hufaz, some of the reciters, some of the people of Qur'an, approximately 70 of them, he sent them to go and teach them based upon their request. When he sent them, they betrayed the Prophet ﷺ. It was treachery and they killed those men. So then the Prophet ﷺ made dua against them in the Qunut for a whole month in the obligatory prayers. For a whole month in the obligatory prayers, and then after the month he stopped. 
And this is something which is agreed upon in Al-Bukhari and Muslim. That's the first narration indicating consistency in the Qunut for a month. The second narration indicated that the Prophet ﷺ used to do the Qunut regularly in every Fajr prayer until he died. That's what the second narration indicates. وَلَمْ يَزَلْ يَقْنُتْ فِي صَلَاةِ الْفَجْرِ حَتَّى فَارَقَ الدُّنْيَا فَهَذَا دَلِيلٌ عَلَىٰ أَنَّ صَلَاةِ الْفَجْرِ يُقْنَتُ فِيهَا دَائِمًا This hadith seems to indicate that you're supposed to do the qunut in every fajr prayer. وَأَنَّ الرَّسُولَ سَلَّمَ دَاوَمَ عَلَيْهِ إِلَىٰ أَنْمَاتِ That the Prophet ﷺ continued upon that until he died. بَيْنَمَا جَاءَ فِي أَحَادِيثِ أُخَرْ أَنَّ النَّبِيَّ صَلَى اللَّهِ وَسَلَّمْ إِنَّمَا كَانَ يَقْنُتُ إِذَا دَعَى لِقَوْمٍ أَوْ دَعَى عَلَىٰ قَوْمٍ But in the other narration it mentioned that the Prophet ﷺ only used to do the qunut when he used to make dua against a particular tribe or some people, or make dua for a particular tribe or some people, meaning that wouldn't have been regular and consistent. That was only at particular times, making duas for certain people or against certain people. And the fourth narration even indicates, where the companion was asked, that you prayed with the Prophet ﷺ, and the Khulafa al-Rashidin, so did they used to do the Qunut in the Fajr? And he said, it's a bid'ah. So now how do we combine between these narrations? Because these narrations are indicating different things. Some of them are indicating that you continuously do the Qunut. Some of them are indicating, no, it's only at certain times when issues occur, making dua against somebody, for somebody. Some of them indicating that it's bid'ah to do it all the time in the Fajr, etc., so how do we come back with all of this as an explanation of what to do with the qunut? فَحَصَلَ بَيْنَ هَذِهِ الْأَحَادِيثِ تَعَارَضٌ فِي الْقُنُوتِ فِي صَلَاةِ الْفَجْرِ أَمَّا الْقُنُوتِ عِنْدَ النَّوَازِلِ فَإِنَّهُ مَشْرُوعٌ عِنْدَ جُمْهُورِ أَهْلِ الْعِلْمِ وَلَيْسَ فِيهِ إِشْكَالِ Here there are two things. When some calamity or some difficulty arises, then to do the qunut at the times of those difficulties and trials and calamities, that is agreed upon by the people of knowledge. At the times when trials and tribulations occur, then it is sunnah to do the qunut. That is agreed upon. There's no difference about that here anywhere. When a trial or a tribulation or a disaster or a calamity occurs, then it is prescribed to do the qunut. It is prescribed to do the qunut prayer in those situations and circumstances. There is no issue with that. The issue is whether you continuously carry on doing it all the time, particularly regarding the Fajr prayer. Is that something you consistently and continuously carry on with? As for now and again when the trials and tribulations and calamities occur, that is agreed upon you do that. There's no problem with that. So now the issue is this consistency and continuously in the Fajr prayer especially. عِنْدَ النَّوَازِلْ نعم أما القنوت عند النوازل فإنه مشروع عند جمهور أهل العلم وليس فيه إشكال فالإمام يقنط ويدعو للمسلمين وكذلك يدعو على العداء فإذا حصلت نازلة بالمسلمين كتسلط عدو عليهم أو مضايقة لهم أو يحصل على طائفة من المسلمين الطهاد من عدوهم فإن الإمام يقنط ويدعو لهم بالفرج والأدلة في ذلك صحيحة لا إشكال فيها ويصح القنوت في النوازل في الفرائض كلها لا لا في الفجر خاصة ويصح من كل مصل سواء كان إماما أو منفردا. So when the times of trials and difficulties occur, in those times it is permissible and legislated to make the قنوت to make dua against the enemies to make dua for the Muslims. That is something prescribed. But now the issue we want to discuss is these narrations talking about the consistency of carrying on all the time. Every Fajr prayer, that issue now. So, with regards to that issue, there are three things to be said. As for in the times of calamity and trial, then it is prescribed, no issue there. In the Witter prayer, the second type, the Witter prayer, again, no real problem there, it's prescribed. Prescribed for you to do the qunut in the witr prayer. Recommended, mustahab. The third situation now is the fajr prayer. Are you supposed to continuously carry on doing it in the fajr prayer or not? So, al-hala al-ula al-qunut fil-nawasil. Wa huwa mashru'. 
الحالة الثانية القنود في الوتر وهذا أيضا لا إشكال فيه بل هو مستحب الحالة الثالثة القنود في صلاة الفجر في غير النوازل والمداومة على ذلك وهذا موضع الخلاف والجدال بين أهل العلم So this is where the difference occurs now in the Fajr prayer do you do it regularly all the time even if there's no calamity or trial going on and this is where the scholars they differ so some of them they say فعند شافعية وجماعة من العلماء أنه يشرع القنوت في صلاة الفجر دائما وهو الدعاء بعد الركوع So some of the scholars they say it is legislated to do the قنوت in the Fajr all the time every Fajr prayer Some of the scholars they mention that and they use the narration that was there that the Prophet ﷺ never left doing the qunut until he died in the Fajr prayer. He never left it. He always carried on doing it every day until he died. So some of them they take that narration and they use that to indicate that you do it every Fajr prayer whether there's a calamity or any issue going on or not. You do the qunut every year in the Fajr prayer. However, The majority of the scholars, the jumhur, بَيْنَمَا الْجُمْهُورِ يَقُولُونَ لَا يَجُوزُ الْقُنُوتِ فِي صَلَاةِ الْفَجْرِ إِلَّا فِي النَّوَازِ الْخَاصَةِ It is not permissible to just carry on doing the qunut every fajr prayer, unless there was some calamity or trial, in which case we said it's agreed, you can do the qunut in fajr or any other obligatory prayer. So they say when it's the times of necessity, when those issues arise, then yes. But outside of that, the majority say you don't just do qunut every day in Fajr for no reason. فالجمهور يقولون لا يجوز القنوت في صلاة الفجر إلا في النواز الخاصة بدليل حديث أنس And what's the evidence? The hadith of Anas, رضي الله عنه, where it's mentioned that the Prophet ﷺ did dua against that tribe for a month. He was doing it, but then in the end, he stopped. He didn't carry on doing dua against them until he died. He did it for a while at the time when the issue occurred, for a while, for a month. But then after that he stopped. So they say, there you go, it shows that at the times of trials and tribulations, you make the qunut, but then after that, when that passes by, then you stop. يعني في النوازل And similarly, we have the fourth hadith which mentioned, when he was asked, did they used to do the qunut every day in the fajr? He said, it's bid'ah. محدث يعني بدعة فهذا يدل على أن القنوت في صلاة الفجر لغير النوازل بدعة ولا يجوز فعله ولكن كيف يكون الجواب على رواية لم يزل يقنوت حتى فارق الدنيا في صلاة الفجر But if you take this opinion of the majority of the scholars who say no, you're only supposed to do the قنوت when there's a situation not just any time every day in فجر But then if you take that opinion and you take that uh, position, how do you respond to the narration where he said the Prophet ﷺ used to do it in Fajr every day until he died? How are you going to respond to that? Al-Jawab. Awalan al-riwayah laysat jayyida min nahiyati sanad Firstly, that narration about the Prophet ﷺ doing the qunut every day in Fajr until he died, it's not very... Uh, strong in terms of the chain of narration. So there's an issue regarding the authenticity of the hadith in the first place. There is an issue regarding the authenticity of the hadith in the first place. ثانياً أن المراد And this is where the introduction to this topic comes in now. أن المراد بالقنوت ليس هو الدعاء بعد الركوع في الفجر That the intent of this narration, let's say it is authentic, that the Prophet ﷺ never left the qunut in Fajr until he died. They say here, the word qunut in this narration isn't talking about the dua meaning of it. It's talking about which meaning? Standing up for a long time. And we've done that before, how long the Prophet ﷺ used to pray the Fajr prayer. So they say the intent of that is that the Prophet ﷺ used to elongate the Fajr prayer. He used to pray a lengthy, long Fajr prayer. Because qunut in Arabic, one of the meanings of it can be that. So they say that's what that is interpreted as that. That's what it means. فَقَالُوا إِنَّ الْمُرَادِ بِالْقُنُوتِ طُولُ الْقِيَامِ حَيْثُ إِنَّهُ صَلَى اللَّهِ وَسَلَّمْ كَانَ يُطِيلُ الْقِيَامِ بَعْدَ الْرُكُوعِ So the Prophet used to extend that standing up after the ruku' And he used to recite the du'as, اللَّهُمَّ رَبَّنَا وَلَكَ الْحَمْدِ مِلْأَ السَّمَاءِ وَمِلْأَ الْأَرْضِ All those du'as, remember, after you come out of the ruku' 
There are several du'as that you can read. So the Prophet ﷺ used to stand after coming out of ruku' and making several du'as and then going into the sujood. So they say, uh, it is not that the Prophet ﷺ used to make the du'a of the qunut every day in fajr. Rather the meaning of it is that he used to stand lengthily, elongate and make lots of du'a, personal du'a and supplications and recitations that are mentioned for you to recite in the prayer, and not the actual qunut du'a that you recognize. So this is what appears to be the correct opinion regarding that. Uh, as Shaykh Al-Fawzan mentions, this is the correct opinion. That you don't do the qunut in the fajr prayer, except at the times of the trials and the tribulations when they arise. One other thing to mention is that some people, they do the qunut in Jum'ah prayer. So what is the ruling on doing the qunut in the Jum'ah prayer? Normally obligatory prayers, any obligatory prayer, you can do the qunut in it. It doesn't have to be just fajr, any obligatory prayer, you can do the qunut in it. Dhuhr, Asr, Maghrib, Isha, whichever one. But Jum'ah, what's the ruling on doing the qunut? In Jum'ah, making the actual dua, raising your hands after the ruku' in Jum'ah prayer with everybody there. What's the ruling on that? So what are you saying the ruling is? The, no, in the prayer, doing the qunut in the prayer, in the salah. After the second, uh, after the raka'ah, coming up and doing the, the qunut in the Jum'ah prayer, not the khutbah. In the prayer, then finishing the prayer. In the Jum'ah prayer. What's the ruling for that? So you say yes. Indeed. <laughs> Khalas, that's the homework. So do some research on that topic. Do some research about the Jum'ah prayer. About Qunut in the Jum'ah prayer. So let's see who can find the fatawa for us. Find the fatawa regarding that. See what the scholars do or say regarding it. Do some research, some homework in that topic. Inshallah ta'ala. And that's where we'll discuss from next time. We'll mention what the scholars have said about that. About doing the Qunut in the Jum'ah prayer. Uh, from next lesson inshallah ta'ala so we'll conclude that today wa sallallahu ala nabiyyina muhammad wa ala alihi wa sahbihi ajma'in